William Branham, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, great to see you again. We met at the Roger Up event a few weeks back. Um, yep, yep. Well, I mean, if, as somebody who attended it, I, had, I, I, I left with a lot of different things. I mean, so much information, so much motivation and inspiration. But for somebody who was on the other end of it, what kind of impact did that have on you? Um, you know, that was, it was a cool event because, you know, there was a lot of cool attendees, but there was a lot of awesome speakers. And, uh, and so I, I probably got as much out of the event, uh, that you did. I probably got more out of the event than, than you did just because of, uh, I went in knowing most of the people who were speaking and I've heard some of them speak, but I hadn't heard all of them speak. And, you know, especially the guys that I hadn't heard speak before hearing their story and what they're doing and how they got the success that they got was, it was pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely not one, one path to success. And it was kind of interesting to see everybody's like the different mentalities of everybody. Um, yeah, it was just, it was real interesting. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think, I came out of there with more notes than anyone because, <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I'm of the, I'm of the school of, I fail a lot before I succeed. Yeah. And, uh, and before this call, you know, we were talking about this event that I was a part of, I was kind of, a an instructor or a coach or a trainer. I'm not sure the right verbiage to use for a bunch of entrepreneurs and business owners and leaders, uh, in business this past weekend and we put them through some paces and we made sure that they, we gave them direction and they failed. And then we had them start over. And when they, we had them start over, they performed much better because they learned lessons and they took those lessons that they learned and they implemented them into the things that we were af asking them to do. And they performed at a, at a much higher level the second time around. And so that's kind of, that's pretty much how I have to work. I have to go and I do something and I fail. Uh, even if you tell me exactly what I need to do, I'm still going to mess that up somehow. I don't even know how. And uh, and then when I come back, I do it better the second time or even better the third time because <laughs> I'm a slow learner. Well, uh, that that makes me think of a story that you shared at the Roger Up event. You were talking about, which we can get into later. I don't really want to jump into that right the second, but how your parachute didn't deploy properly <laughs> and you were falling from an airplane <laughs> Yep. Not really knowing what was going on. Yeah, that was, uh, that was, you know, when I share that story, I oftentimes talk about like details and the, um, and the decisions that you make, you yeah. make decisions at night before you go to bed and you make decisions in the morning when you wake up and those decisions impact how you, uh, how your day is going to go. And the decisions I made before that jump impacted how that jump almost didn't turn out to be very good. That's a really good point because um, that's one thing I, ever since the Roger Up event, I've kind of um, realized that the things I do the night before, because I've been trying to wake up early in the morning and like do like a small exercise and then uh, read and journal and uh, um, just whatever, whatever I could have time for. But um, the night before, if I'm not if I'm not in the right mindset, I'm not like relaxing before I go to bed, then it just kind of throws off the next morning for me. And so, um, 
I, one thing I realized is my nightly routine needs to be the, you know, consistent. Otherwise, you know, it, it affects my next, the next day, the next morning. I've had a bunch of people ask me about my morning routine and I'm always, and I always say it starts the night before. Like if I have an early morning, yeah. I lay my clothes out on the floor as if I'm wearing them. And, uh, and so when I get up and I get out of bed, I put them on right away and I start, you know, I have the coffee pot ready. I've, I have everything all dialed and ready to go. So I don't have to stress or freak out or worry about anything in the morning. And so, you know, my more normally my morning routine starts the night before doing a lot of the things that I just shared with you. Uh, you know, I get up, I get dressed, I drink a big thing of water because you dehydrate your brain dehydrates overnight. Uh, and then I generally go for a walk 20 to 45 minutes, depending on, on the day. Uh, and it's and depending where I am in the world right now, I'm, I live in Hawaii, but right now I'm in Texas. So my routine is a little messed up and my circadian rhythm is a little messed up, but, uh, uh, I still do that just so that I stay in, in the habit of doing it. And if I have to get up early, like tomorrow morning, I have to get up early to, to travel. I'm probably not going to do that walk in the morning because I'm heading off to the airport. Uh, but I will do it tonight and I'll do it when I get where I'm going. Um, you know, as soon as I hit the ground, I like to go to the gym if it's a reasonable time and uh, get some sort of workout in in the day so that that that's really the reason for walking first thing in the morning, you get this fasted cardio. It's yeah. good for fat burning and, and stuff like that. And if I don't have the opportunity, my schedule is too full to, even though I plan gym time into my day, sometimes things come up and, and eats into that. At least I got some sort of workout in, uh, you know, at the first thing in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I realized too, is like doing cardio. The, I usually do it for like 20 minutes. I do 20 minutes of like, just, cardio like on the elliptical or the bike and the first 10 minutes I'm like man I don't want to be up doing this and then the last 10 minutes I'm like okay my body knows that this is what I'm doing and then I'm just getting after it and then yeah. that, that right there just kind of sets the tone for the day like I feel great afterwards yeah it's it, it's it's weird how that happens yeah but you just have to push through that suck factor in the beginning you know in in seal training we would do these four mile timed runs and a hundred percent of the time I figured out if I just sprint right out the gate, number one, I'm, I'm winning the run. I'm the first one, you know? Uh, but what happens is I would get through that sort of suck factor a lot faster than sort of suffering for a longer period of time. And then, you know, hit that wall and then get that second win. So I would just like punish myself and like sprint as hard as I could. Um, for, you know, two or three minutes. And then I'm like, Oh my God, this is terrible. That was a terrible decision. But then I pushed through that, that, that suck factor and hit that second and third wind much earlier on. And then the run is just much more enjoyable that way, rather than suffering for 10 minutes, uh, you know, to, to do a, a, a 30 minute for a 30, 30 minute run, you yeah. know, I suffer for five minutes and then it's a much more enjoyable 30 minute run. Yeah. How did you build build that mentality? Did you just decide one day that you're gonna do that, or how did? Yeah, you I was like, God, that's, I, that was just the logic. I'm like, well, I I do all right once I I hate running, by the way, uh, I do it, but I hate it. I love hate relationship, I guess. Um, 
but I, I realized that it took me so long to get through that suck factor. I'm like, let's just see if I can speed it up. And so that's ever since I figured that out, I was like, I, that's what I do every time I have a timed, I would have a, some sort of timed run event. So all through my Naval, like the entire time I was in the Navy, you, you do these physical fitness tests. There's always a run in there. And so that strategy worked for me in, in seal training. And so it, I just continued using it in, uh, the rest of my career. That's that, that's not, that, that's not a bad idea. Um, now, since you brought up your SEAL career, let's kind of go back. You you spent 25 or so years in the military, correct? Yep. Yep. 26 years. 26. Okay. I thought I knew it was like 25 or around 25. Um, when a Quarter century. A little over a quarter century, if you want to think about it like that. <laughs> not that I'm old at all. <laughs> You're not old. Um, when did you go in? When did you go into the military? Why And why did you go in? Uh, let's see. So when I was a kid, I grew up in, uh, outside a little town outside of Meridian, Mississippi. I was heavily involved in the boy Scouts. I liked hunting. I liked running around in the woods. I always knew that I wanted to be part of some sort of elite, small military unit. I was thinking like, maybe I'd heard of like Marine Corps force recon snipers. I'd heard of army Rangers. I'd heard of green berets. And I was like, maybe I'll do one of those jobs. Those sound pretty cool because they're not like the big green machine of the military. They're not like the big, you know, big armies out there in the world. They're, you know, small, they're strategic, they move quickly and uh, they're unconventional. I didn't, I don't think I had all those words back then, but I, that was sort of the idea. You know, I grew up watching, I was watching Kung Fu theater. So I wanted to be a ninja and I wanted to be, you know, do stuff like that. I still do actually. But, uh, um, so I, I, I went to this, um, Boy Scout national jamboree. I was poor when I was a kid, but I, you know, because I was so involved in the Boy Scouts, the Boy Scout troop that I was a part of actually paid for me to go to this event. It was, you know, probably a thousand bucks. And, uh, and I met a kid there and he was like, yeah, I want to, uh, when I grow up, I'm going to, you know, go to the Naval Academy. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. He's like, yeah. And I want to fly F-14 Tomcats, like the movie Top Gun. I was like, oh, that's cool too. I, I think I want to do that. I think I want to join the Naval Academy and I want to, you know, fly F-14 Tomcats. And I also want to be a Navy SEAL. And I was like, what's that? He's like, oh, it's the most elite military uniform uh, uh, organization in the world. Um, they jump out of airplanes, they scuba dive, they blow things up, they, uh, you know, sneak around in the woods and all that, all the things that I want to do. I was like, I want to do that too. And so I came back from that that national jamboree, that Boy Scout event, and the Navy recruiter called called me, and it was just he was just a cold call. He was just, you know, it was my the summer between my 11th, 12th grade of of high school. And he was like, hey, have you ever thought about joining the Navy? And I was like, oh, well, I want to be a Navy SEAL. I want to go to the Naval Academy and I want to fly F-14 Tomcats. And he was like, you should come down and talk to me at the recruiting center. Now, what I didn't share is I, the one organization that I did not want to join was the Navy. Because my, my dad was in the Navy, my grandfather, like almost all the men in my life were in the Navy. And the Navy has these big gray things out there in the ocean that float around that I want to have no part of. And there was a Naval air station in my town, uh, you know, outside of Meridian, Mississippi. 
And I would see all these kids that were fresh out of boot camp going to their, their, you know, follow them on school. And they were, you know, they acted like a bunch of idiots out in town wearing the uniform with the goofy little white hat and bell bottom jeans and all this other stuff. <laughs> Very judgmental. And I'm um, like, I'm never going to be one of those guys. Well, I became one of those guys. And, uh, but unfortunately, my plan didn't work out exactly the way I'd hoped. I ended up on a ship in Yokosuka, Japan for two years after I joined uh, joined the Navy. And then I almost didn't get to go to SEAL training because of some decisions that I made, some schools that I went to, uh, because I went to one school to, and the, the point of the school was to work on missile launchers for Tomahawk missiles. I went to the school to get in better shape to go to SEAL training. But what I didn't know is because I chose to go to that school, I had 24 months of obligated service to a ship in Yokosuka, Japan. So when they told me, sorry, you can't take the SEAL test, the SEAL screening test, you have to go to this ship in Yokosuka, Japan, but you can take it after you get there. I'm like, okay, check. I'll go there. I'll do my time. And then I'll go to, to Bud's. And uh, I, I go to the ship. I do my time. It was I think living on a ship was harder than SEAL training, personally, in my in my personal opinion, because um, I was I hated every, I didn't hate every bit of it, but I hated a lot of it just because it was I wasn't doing what I wanted to do, um, and I was just sort of like spinning my tires and not going anywhere, like a hamster on a hamster on one of those hamster wheels. Yeah, and so it it came time for me to you know uh, put a package in to you know, request to go to SEAL training. So I did all the physical stuff. I did all the medical stuff. And, and I called the, the guy that's in charge of me going to my next command. And I said, Hey, I just want you to know that I put a package in to go to SEAL training. And I'm just letting you know, I'm just giving you a heads up. And he was like, Oh, that's great that you want to be a SEAL, but I'm not going to let you go become a Navy SEAL because, um, no one, we don't need any more SEALs. What we need are more people that went to that school that you went to. So you're too critical to the Navy for me to allow you to go become a Navy SEAL. Whoa. And I was like, what? That doesn't <laughs> make any sense because your reenlistment bonus is like $4,000 and the reenlistment bonus to be a SEAL is $20,000, which is not really any money nowadays. But back then it was a lot of money. And, um, and he's like, sorry, bro, you're not going. And I, you know, I, I got letters of recommendation. I did all this stuff. And, you know, I, you know, continued to call hoping that he would leave and someone else would come in and he just continued to say no. And so then I was like, okay, well, I'll call the seal detailer. The seal detailer said, that's great, but your guy has to let you go. And I'm like, oh. so I continued to like problem solve and troubleshoot and try to figure out how to get there. And eventually we got word that the chief of naval operations was coming to our ship in Yokosuka, Japan. He, there were like 15 ships in Japan and he came to our ship and he didn't go to any other ship. And, uh, and so someone said that he was a common sense leader. You should ask him if he'll let you go to buds. And I was like, okay, I'll ask him, what do I have to lose? And so he came to our ship and just to kind of put into perspective who the chief of Naval operations is, he's the most senior person in the Navy. Um, the only people more senior to him in, in the world, in the military was the secretary of defense and the president of the United States, Whoa. the most senior person in the Navy, the end. And so he comes to our ship. He has, you know, you know, CNO's call. This is my vision of the Navy. La la. I have no idea what he said, but then he said, does anyone have any questions? And I raised my hand. Hello. I was the second person he called on. 
And I said, uh, yes, sir, I, I joined the Navy to become a Navy SEAL. I think I deserve a chance to go, but my detailer won't let me go. Um, I've done everything I need to do. I've served my time. What do you think? He turns to my commanding officer and he says, is he a good guy? And my CEO says, yeah, he was a sailor of the quarter this quarter, which is like employee of the month or something like that. And, uh, and so he turns back to me, he's like, check, you'll be in the first class after your PRD, which is planned rotational date. Six weeks later, I'm off the ship and on my way to California to start SEAL training. And once I got there, it only took me 13 months to finish that six month block of training. Whoa. Cause I got hurt a few times <laughs> once or twice. Wow. Well, that's quite, that's quite the story. There's a, there's a bunch there, but, um, I mean, how fortunate were you to be able to have the opportunity to, to talk to the command, the commander? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Like I, like I couldn't have been more lucky. I mean, if that hadn't have happened, I would have, like, I was starting to figure out like how to write my congressman and, and stuff like that to get that opportunity. But you know, the opportunity came to me, so I didn't have to, I mean, I was still asking everyone getting, you know, letters of recommendation. There was a steal in Yokosuka, Japan on a ship, uh, a, a commander, you know, serving his time in purgatory on a ship, working for whatever, just checking some boxes so that he could advance. And I, you know, and visited him and he was like, yeah, I, I highly recommend you to go. And I mean, he doesn't know me from Adam, but I went there with a, with a good attitude and, and, you know, can do attitude. And he was, yeah, let's do it. So he wrote me a, a letter of recommendation as well. I just had to, you know, someone had to allow me to go. Mm, yeah, that that's crazy. That is wild. Um, now you went into buds, and it, you said it took you thirteen months. Yep, to the day thirteen months to the day from the day I checked in. Oh my! Till the day I graduated. What What did you injure? How did you? Um, let's see. I I broke an ankle. I uh, at one point I got stepped on, like my calf got stepped on. Oof. And which we later found out was a, like, there was, there was, they thought we, I had compartment syndrome because of the, the pain that I was in. So they like shoved a big needle into my, into my calf to look for like extra, like, oh. un, un, like, uh, I guess compartment syndrome can pretty much ruin your, your career or whatever. Uh, I didn't have it. Like they were checking for like over pressurization in, in the muscle, um, jacket. So each muscle, fiber if you've ever like taken a, a chicken breast and you the, the fascia on the outside the kind of yeah. white skin not the not the thick skin but the like the thin skin right. like all the muscles have this like this sheathing around them and uh if it was like m too much pressure in there it could actually destroy your muscle but i didn't have it i did have a a slight uh break in my tibia or fibula i don't remember which one of those um another thing that happened is i don't know my knee stopped working i don't really know why it just stopped working and I had to hobble my way all the way through, through training. Uh, and because I was hobbling all the way through hell week, uh, on the other side of hell week, I had, you know, that my knee started working again, but I produced a bunch of stress fractures on the other leg. So I got rolled back for that as well. So um, fortunately I got to stay, but uh, there was one point where they were, they said they were, were going to kick me out. And I, and I begged and cried and pleaded like, like tears sobbing like please don't <laughs> let me go let me tell you the story about the cno how i actually got to get here if you kick me out now i may never get an opportunity to come back i don't want to go i want to stay 
And uh, I'm like, I'll go join training right now. I will hobble my way all the way through. And they're like, just go get better and start in the next class. So, so I did. I, and eventually made it through. That's got to be such an emotional experience because, I mean, you wanted so badly to join the SEALs and, and go to BUDS. You finally make it, you get injured, and then and then you're possibly going to get kicked out because of your injuries. That's yeah. And then, yeah. And they're like, okay, see you later, buddy. <laughs> yeah. You should have trained harder before you came here. <laughs> uh, you're right. I should have, but I didn't, but I'm here now. So let's, let's get right. this all the way through. So how was your time as a SEAL? your career what was your career like uh let's see so my first team was a not a traditional steel team it was a seal delivery vehicle team which i did not want to go to but you know you don't always get a choice i got to become a seal so you get to do what they want you to do kind of like that other job that i was doing in the navy we the navy needs you to do this you know yeah tomahawk missile launcher job i don't want to do that either uh, I want to go to a regular SEAL team and do regular SEAL team stuff. But the team that I went to was uh, was a team on the East Coast. And we have a mini submarine that you put two guys in the front and you can put four guys with all your equipment in the back. Now, there's no room in there. But uh, and I think I talked about it a little bit at the Roger Up event. Um, so really what we did a lot of is, is we did a lot of reconnaissance. So that got me sort of on the fast track to become a sniper. And then later on a sniper instructor, um, you know, when I was teaching sniper school, nine 11 happened. And then later on, we started deploying to, uh, Afghanistan and later to Iraq. So while I was in the teams, I was fortunate to, I have a, a 10 deployments total in the SEAL teams. And seven of those were to combat. Some of those were to, you know, pre nine 11 and some other stuff that we did that was, uh, you know, other, other mission sets. When 9-11 happened, what was your thoughts on that? Were you, I mean, as somebody who was already enlisted, were you, were you, were you excited to be able to go serve your country or were you like scared that, you know, we're going to war now? Um, when, when 9-11 happened, I was very confused at how did a plane, how, what, what dumbass flew an airplane into a building? And then it soon, uh, you know, became reality that this is not, you know, some some dummy with a prop prop plane. There was, you know, a very coordinated attack. Yeah. And uh, I had no concept of war or what that would look like. I mean, I, you know, had been preparing for it, you know, most of my career, most of my life, really, uh, if you really break it down. Um, and then, you know, guys started deploying and coming back and getting all these awards and doing all the stuff. And I was like, when do I get to go? And when do I get to use the skills that I've been training and, and learning, you know, all this time. And so eventually, you know, I went over there. I, the first time I went over to Afghanistan, it was, it was in an, in an admin role. And uh, to because, you know, even though you you have seals that are on the ground, you still need other seals that are on the backside that do sort of the, the coordination and and coordinating with all the supporting assets and things like that. So I went over in in that capacity. But while I was there, I was like, hey, uh, I want to go out in the field with the platoon. And so I, I got someone else to do my admin job so that I could go out and, you know, do <laughs> 
do the do the 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 tactical thing that I you know have been trained for my entire life, and uh, and then yeah, and then the rest is history, and then that's how I just continue to to deploy. Sometimes in an admin role, but every time that I deployed in an admin role, just like in in the headquarters role, uh, I always found opportunities to go out and and you know run and gun with the with the platoon if I was not part of the platoon. I could imagine that that would give you a great amount of respect from your from the, your comrades, right? Yeah, I mean they they I mean when you're not even though everyone knows who you are, you're at the same team. If you're not in the platoon or in the task unit, they're kind of like you're not part of the team. <laughs> <laughs> you're not part of you're not part of us. It's much more you know when I was in the platoon and and in the in the task units. It, I had exactly the same mentality. So I knew where they were coming from. So I had to like earn the respect when I went out. I'm like, I'll do the shit job. I'll do the, like, I'll drive, I'll sit in the, I'll hold security over here. I'll do whatever you need. You know, even as a senior guy with more experience than most of the guys, I'm like, I'll do the, I'll do the JV work. It's fine. I just want to do work. And so that is what got me most of the respect and where they were like, okay, you, you have this other skill set as a sniper and all these other things that we're going to shove you in, in these other other positions when we go out or request your for you to go out in the field with us. I'm like, awesome. Let's go. That's cool. Is that a more protected job or skill, the being a sniper? Um, I think I think all the skills that we have are. So in in the SEAL teams, it's a little bit different than than the other uh other services because we have this very long selection process seal training we go through buds and then we go through now they have stt seal tactical training uh it's about 18 months of work before they get their trident before they even show up at the team so when we send someone from the team to a school whether it's sniper school breacher school comms jump master dive soup it doesn't matter what the what the school is we expect them to pass the course and come back with that skill set. Other units, other branches of the service, they don't have the same mentality. So, you know, even I, I, I uh, was talking about Army Airborne School not that long ago, and it's really three weeks of learning how to fall down. I and see they see you on that. <laughs> I, it is it's the most ridiculous school I've ever been to. It was my first introduction to the Army, and I was like, what? is what um this is the high speed and they have their mission is to kick as many people out as they can so that they keep that qualification as elite air quotes mm -hmm. as they can the same thing for ranger school the same thing for sniper school in the army uh sniper school in the marine corps the Marine Corps takes, you know, they hold their snipers at, as like this, like sort of demi demigods. They're okay. They're not awesome. They're okay. I mean, they're pretty good, but they're not, you know, better than anyone else, but they are in the Marine Corps. Uh, you know, in the SEAL teams, we'll have four or six guys or more that are snipers. Um, I think the the jobs that are even more harder to, to get are... Uh, comms guy no one wants to be a comms guy but it's really more valuable than a sniper uh, a jtac which are the guys who talk to the aircraft and drop bombs not sexy more valuable than a sniper um 
breacher, not more valuable than a sniper, but you know, they're it's a pretty cool school that's you know blowing doors up and 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 breaking into stuff. Uh so that that's kind of cool. But um, you know, we we really look at all schools to be some guys don't want to be a sniper. Some guys don't want to crawl around in the in the you know in the woods or out in a field somewhere and you know crawl through poison ivy or poison oak or sumac or something and like get all i remember a kid when i was uh teaching sniper school the first time he he was terribly allergic to um poison ivy and it was like spring in indiana (laughs) and he got poison ivy and he for the whole rest of the class and it's like three months long he his whole body was just swollen up he he passed but good gracious that poor kid oh, he like pretty much bathed in in uh campo Fenique, whatever that stuff is the pink lotion yeah. like like every day and i ran into that guy uh i don't know a couple years ago and he's now out he's working for the agency doing whatever it is that they do on their stuff but yeah he's doing some work at, at the agency you know he was recruiting new new people to come in and i was like dude i remember you from sniper <laughs> school <laughs> that's funny um now you spent 26 years in at what point when did you retire how long ago did you retire uh july 31st of august of uh, 2018 oh okay and what was that transition like for you terrible I tell people that my transition from the military to civilian life is the hardest military mission I've ever been on. So what I mean by that, and I've been on a few missions. What I mean by that is if you've ever seen the movie, the Avengers where Thanos like snaps his fingers and half the world's population goes away. It was kind of like that for me. Mm. You know, I've spent my entire adult life in the seal teams. I had a purpose. I had a mission and I had a team. When I retired, using air quotes here, when I retired, I lost that purpose, I lost that mission, and I lost that team. And so it took me a long time to figure that out. And, you know, really, most people, especially men, we need some sort of purpose and mission and team. And uh, we, we, we lose that. It, so I had to go out and I had to find what, what is my new purpose? What is my new mission? What is my new team? And, you know, I, I have a lot of baggage from my time in, in the military. I've got some baggage from some not so awesome relationships I've been a part of. And so the way I would kind of dull out this noise in my head is I would drink myself to sleep at night, which is not great for the body. It's not great for the brain and it's not great for performance. But you know what? That was my medicine of choice at the time. And so what I ended up eventually I decided I was terribly afraid of it. I Um, but I'd heard that this thing called CBD was, you know, it helped people with stress and anxiety and sleep and pain and all these other things. And I was like, I need to try that because I'm not in a, in a good place. And, uh, and so I tried it and I don't know that I really noticed anything when I was taking it, but what I noticed after I finished that first bottle of CBD that someone gave me is that, uh, you know, I like to say water boils at 212 degrees and I was living my life probably at 210 degrees. And so it didn't take much for me to hit that boiling point. And over time, after, while taking CBD, I probably went from like 205 to 210 to 205 to 200 to 195 to 190, maybe 185. I got out of that red zone. My fuse got longer. 
I was able to, rather than just react to everything that happened in my life, I was able to respond, like have a little bit of time, have a little better pause of self-talk and respond to things the way that I should be responding to them. And then I ran out of that CBD and I started going closer to that boiling point again. And then I tried a different brand. I had similar results. And then um, I I make the decision that I, I want to be part of the CBD industry because CBD had a positive impact on my life. Like positive impact that where I'm like, I, this, it, this must be my new purpose, my new mission. I don't have a team yet, but I'm, I got to figure this out. So I ran into someone in the CBD industry at a, at a business conference. And I really, I wanted her to hire me and teach me. And I wanted to be part of her team because she seemed to have her act together and she said, uh, you want to do A to B, B to B or B to C? And I said, I want to do C, B, D. I don't know what those other letters mean. <laughs> and uh, I, have no, I have no clue. I'm I'm a new guy over here. And she said, you are a Navy SEAL. Well, no, actually, she said, "You're. What, why don't you just start your own CBD company? And I was like, I don't know how to do that. Pushing back on her, like, hire me. Why don't you just start your own CBD company? I don't know how to do that. She's like, you you are a Navy SEAL. You can figure it out. And I was like, may I please have my man card back um, <laughs> to never give up again? And uh, and so I started researching the CBD industry. Like, it was weird. Like, she was like, she had more confidence in me than I had in myself to start a company. And so I started digging into the industry and and I found that it's an extremely dirty industry. And so our, you know, here's my new mission, like create the the highest quality CBD in the market. What do you mean and, uh, dirty industry? So CBD became legal uh, December 20th of 2018 after the passing of the 2018 Farm Bill. The reason that it became legal is because hemp became legal. So hemp is a, is a, cannab is a cannabis product. It's a cannabis plant. The difference between hemp and marijuana is... If you see a hemp plant and you see a marijuana plant growing next to one another, you can't tell the difference. The difference is the dried weight when it's harvested, the dried weight of THC in the plant. So a hemp plant has 0.3% or less THC in the dried weight of the plant. Mm. So that's what makes it a hemp plant. So you, you can breed the cannabis plant to have high levels of THC or high levels of CBD. So the hemp plant that where CBD comes from, they are bred to have very low THC, but high levels of CBD and uh, over 120 different other minor cannabinoids. So a cannabinoid is CBD, THC, CBN, CBG, THCV. There's all these other like minor cannabinoids that do, you know, sort of synergistic things with the body uh, and uh, a bunch of essential oils. So like one essential oil that the that the hemp plant has is called pinene and pinene is a it comes also comes from pine needles from a, the pine tree uh it helps with neuroplasticity in the in the brain. Oh. Wow. So it, there's a, a ton of medical and I this is not medical this is not medical uh advice or anything else it's just a you know we're just two guys talking here, but, uh, but it has a, a ton of medical benefits, medicinal benefits, uh, you know, from, you know, cannabis has been used as medicine for more than 2000 years. 
Like it was used in the Bible. There are, are verses in the Bible about it. It's like way longer than, you know, however long we've been around. Um, and, you know, it was, it was uh, demonized based on racism and uh, from the, from the uh, textile industry. And then it is still de demonized uh, today. However, I would I would argue that it it's far less bad for you than alcohol. You know, just talking about the THC side of it. But so they they legalized uh, hemp in 2018, and so hemp is a bioaccumulator. Come to come back to your your question, uh, is a bioaccumulator. So it pulls all the good stuff out of the soil, and it pulls all the bad stuff out of the soil. And as the CBD industry started to to pick up, a lot of people were out there to get rich quick, kind of just like this, you know, take advantage of this thing, like while we can, because it, it won't last long. We don't know. Um, and so there was a, a bunch of bad actors entering the space. And uh, there were several organizations to include the FDA that went out and did a ton of spot checks on companies. And what they found is... Um, more than 70% of the, the products in the market either didn't have CBD in them, they had higher than the legal amount of THC in them, uh, they had heavy like heavy metals like mercury, arsenic, lead uh, in them, you know, when you're, which which is because the, the hemp plant is a bioaccumulator, it pulls all the good stuff out of the soil, it pulls all the bad stuff out of the soil, and so... People were, you know, just taking marijuana plants, extracting whatever oil out of it, and then, you know, selling it as CBD oil. And, uh, and, and, you know, there was a bunch of trash out there in the market. Now, hemp is such a powerful bioaccumulator that they're using hemp at Chernobyl to clean the radiation out of the soil so they can go back and repopulate that area someday. China uses uh, hemp to clean their soil uh, as they rotate through crops, you know, clean some of the pesticides and, and crap like that out of there. And so, uh, so our, our mission again was to, to create the highest quality CBD that we, that we could in the market. So now all of our products are the, the hemp and the oil that comes out of them are USDA certified organic, which is a huge pain to get that certification. Um, not every product is USDA certified organic because we can't control all of the like 95 percent or more of the ingredients and processes that are in the product have to be usda certified organic so there are some things that we that we create that we 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 don't have the usda certified organic process certified yet yeah. so but all of the oil all everything like we have the highest quality in the market and you know, because, and the other thing that we do that other companies wasn't doing is, you know, we, when the oil is extracted, we send it off to an independent third-party lab to be tested. And then it comes back. If it's good, we put it through the processing to create the, you know, a tincture that you put under your tongue. You know, we have an energy drink powder. We have gummies. We have topicals. Uh, we have soft gels, little pills that you take. And, uh, so we, we run it through the manufacturing process and then we take that final product and we send it off to a lab and have it tested again to make sure that nothing weird happened, to make sure it has the CBD they say we, we say it has in it, to make sure there's no mold or or heavy metals or anything weird that, that could have happened or any contamination that could have happened during the manufacturing process. So 
the, like the more legit companies, they were doing like uh, they were they were testing the oil when it came out of the plant, but they weren't testing the the end product. Wow. And so we we were testing, you know, in the beginning and also at the end. So we helped raise the standard in the industry for for the uh, the QA of of what's going on in the CBD industry. I mean, the biggest names of CBD that you've ever heard out there, um, they they weren't doing what we were doing. And now they are, the bigger names are doing that. Wow. That's crazy. I had no idea about any of that. Um, you're, you gave us this, um, it, it almost looks like a chapstick. You rub it on, you can rub yep. it on your skin or whatever. My wife uses it every day and she's like, that stuff helps. <laughs> she loves it. Awesome. Good. Yeah. yeah. We, we both work at General Motors. So the, like the repetitive work, takes a toll on you know our, our joints and everything and so yep. yeah every day at break time she just rubs it on rubs it on wherever awesome that's very cool yeah i love that feedback <laughs> yeah so yeah she she uses i don't use it i haven't used it but i i honestly don't really use many products so i probably should but um, i mean if you don't need it you don't need it but if you do well no I, it helps i think i can make the argument that i i do need to use um something because I, I get like knots and tightness in certain areas and whatnot but yeah um now you you started the company in 2018 i started the company in i launched the company website march 1st of 2020 okay and what kind of growth have you seen since then has it has it i mean you're obviously doing podcasts like every day you do like 10 of them a day um, <laughs> so I, you... I do, I do, I do a fair amount of podcasts. Um, and, and, you know, the reason that I started doing podcasts is because I can't run ads. You know, you get every other industry out there can run ads on social media, uh, to get new customers. I can't run ads on social media. They like Facebook and Instagram and, and all those LinkedIn TikTok, they all look at CBD as a an illicit substance. They look at it as marijuana or kitty porn, however they however they classify it. You know, I didn't even have a Facebook account until I started uh, selling CBD, and so um, I ran some ads, and my first Facebook account got deleted. But don't you worry, Facebook still took my money, as if. Uh, you know, as if it was still going and, uh, and then they deleted the second one. And then I finally learned on the third one, they're like, you're breaking our rules over here. You have to stop doing that. I'm like, what rules you're trying to market an illicit substance. It's legal in all 50 States federally. What the heck? But so I just stopped doing that. And I talked to one of my business coaches because that was, that's one of the more important things that I, that I realized is, you know, I don't know how to run a business. I don't know any of that stuff. I know how to do you know, I know how to be a, a, an elite warrior on the battlefield. I don't know how to run a business. So I hired, you know, a business coach and then another business coach. And one of my business coaches, he said, um, you need to get on podcast. You need to be unrealistic on the podcast that you can get on. Like the biggest names in the world, the Tim Ferriss, the Joe Rogan, the whatever, like find a way to get on those podcasts and that will be the marketing that you'll need to grow. And so that's what I started doing. I didn't do it right away. Um, 
because I'm a little, again, I'm a little hard headed. I have to learn things on my own. And, uh, and then he put me on his podcast and, you know, I did like three times the number of sales that next month. And I was like, Oh, maybe there's something to that. And I assumed that it would continue, but it didn't. And so then I was like, okay, mate, this is my goal. I'm going to be on one podcast a week. So 50 that turned into like 150 that first year. And then now I've been on more than 400 podcasts in, you know, last 24 months. That's insane. Uh, I've stopped counting at this point. I'm like, <laughs> I, what's the point of continuing to count? Yeah. I mean, I just, probably, I just do it. You probably can't even remember most of the names of the podcast. I'm sure. You know, I, I don't honestly, <laughs> but I like that. I get, I get the, you know, a lot of times that the they'll, I'll get like, you know, video, I'll get like some, some, uh, like pictures of, you know, to help them promote the podcast that I was on. And I'm like, I don't even remember who this was. So I have to go back and look at it and listen to some of the audio and like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who this is. Okay, check. Now I can. <laughs> I remember once I'm like, but by name, I have no idea. Yeah, that's funny. Um, what is the biggest podcast you've been on? Um, probably the... Somewhere between... The Empire Show, Bedros Koulian's podcast, um, Sharon Shrivatsa's podcast, and there's one other that I'm blanking, which, uh, you know, I've, I've got a lot of lessons learned for being on podcast. You know, I learned, like, you've got a, a, a nice little mic there in front of you, and uh, I eventually bought a nice mic, and I can see the guy's face. And I cannot remember his show all the all in with uh, whatever his name is. <laughs> and I was like, I, it was like, it was a great interview. Um, you know, the whole production thing and whatever. And I had this mic set up, but I get animated sometimes when I talk. And so I was like far away from the mic. And when I went back and listened to the interview, I was like, it sounds terrible. <laughs> Audio is like what people care about when they're listening to a podcast. Yeah. And so I have gone between a lot of different mics. And right now I'm using this sort of wireless boom mic. Uh, so it gives me the freedom to move around. But a lot of times I'll use a, um, a lapel mic that I put under my shirt. Okay. You know, just to have really good, really good quality all in with that's going to bug me now. Um, it like, I know his colors are purple because he sent me a, uh, a cup that was purple. And then there was another, um, I write for a, a, a magazine called best holistic life. And I was on her podcast. And then we were, I was talking to her one day and, um, uh, she had the same sh with Rick. Golly, I'm so close to, to having the, the name, um, Rick Jordan, all in with Rick Jordan. Okay. Uh, another pretty big podcast. And, uh, and I saw the same cup that he sent me sitting on her, on her desk. She was drinking out of, and I was like, Oh, you, you were on Rick Jordan's podcast. She's like, yeah, it's so great. La la la, whatever. So, uh, I think, I think those are like three of the bigger ones that I've been on. That's cool. I'm That's looking cool. to get on bigger ones though. Oh yeah. I mean, I think, I think if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to, I mean, you're a good speaker anyway. So, um, thank you. I don't, I don't understand why nobody, That's a that's a work in progress. Like I don't naturally like, you know, I, I spoke at the Raj Rupp event and, you know, I, I came out and said something like, 
I'm, I'm, you know, I'm always nervous when I, when I'm public speaking, I'm, I'm much more comfortable in a gunfight than I am, you know, speaking on stage because that's what they trained me to do was be in a gunfight. No one ever taught me like how to, how to speak on stage. And, uh, it's, I'm definitely a work in progress. Well, I ended up doing a, uh, speaking event like a week or two ago and, uh, for a, a local thing. And, the whole time I kept thinking about, I think, cause I remembered you saying it. And then, uh, Kevin Ross, I knew Kevin Ross was nervous. And I'm like, those guys said that they were nervous, like nerves are part, just part of the process. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. And, and so, you know, the, the, the thing that I figured out is just go up there and own, own the whole stage. Like this is my world. Yeah. And if you can put yourself in that mental space, you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you go up there just scared. You're yeah, you're, you're, you're going to just be scared, but if you go up there, it's fine to be nervous, but just go in there and own it. Yeah, exactly. Um, now how often are you doing public speaking? Uh, as often as I can. Okay. And the Roger up event, that was, that wasn't your first time, right? It was not my first time. Okay. Um, I've, I've, I've maybe been on 10 stages. Oh, not wow. not enough. I want to do, you know, like I'm doing podcasts. I want to do stages yeah. like that. So are you actively seeking out those opportunities or do you just take them? Yeah. Seeking them out. Any opportunity I get to speak, I will, I will speak. That's cool. Yeah. A lot of it is, you know, if you want to be good at something, you need to get the repetitions under your belt. You got to just like practice Yeah. what you see coming out of me right now. This was, I was not like this in my first podcast. You know, I, I had, you know, very canned questions and very, um, I knew what I was going to say before they even asked the question. Mm. And then, you know, I, I got on Bedros Koulian's podcast and he, there was not canned questions. We had a whole like day of coaching the first day. And then the second day when he was like, well, you want to be on my podcast? I'm like, heck yeah, let's do it. I thought it was going to be the same questions that he asked me the day before that I had good answers for. Yeah. And he hit me out of like, the first question was like out of left field and I didn't really know where to go with it. So I was like, Oh my God, I got to roll with it and like figure this out right now. I'm like, and we were in a studio and it was like all professional. And, and, uh, and I was like, as if I was live uh, in front of a studio audience, I'm like, Oh, don't mess this up right now. Not like, not even thinking like I could screw this whole thing up and say, can we start over? Like, I didn't like my answer. Like I totally could have done that, but I didn't like, it wasn't like, I was like, Oh my God, perform right now. And so doing the repetitions that I've done on so many shows, uh, you know, it's kind of built self-confidence. It's also helped me figure out what my story is, like who the hell I am, Yeah. you know, um, sharing things that I would never have shared before in my life. You know, I don't like showing weakness or vulnerability or anything like that, but I've also found that that's like the, you know, a key to success is to be vulnerable because I think that I'm just a regular guy. I think everyone can do, it has done the same stuff I've done. I know that's not true, <laughs> but I'm like, we, I did it. You can do it. You're told like, we're all, we're all equal here and not everyone sees it the same way. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, not everybody can do a uh, jumping jacks or a push up. So <laughs> uh, dude, I, amazing. How is it? How are jumping jacks so hard right now? <laughs> I like went and got the medic and I was like, watch him closely. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but yeah, going back to your like repetition thing, 
that's one thing I learned by doing this podcast is like, if you go back and listen to my first couple interviews, they're terrible. Like I, I interviewed Kevin Ross. He was like episode six and it was such a, I got 30 minutes in and I was like, I need to wrap this up. This is, Oh my gosh, this is bad. And then, um, I eventually interviewed him again and it was a lot better. But one thing I find that's difficult and even this episode, it's difficult to like get a feel for the conversation when it's like through zoom. Um, but like whenever I'm in studio with somebody, it's like, it just flows. It's so much easier. It, it just- I, I always like, if I have an opportunity to go, even if I'm paying out of my own pocket, I'm fine with that to go and, and be in the studio and actually talk to someone face to face. I prefer that always. Yeah. It, it's just better. It, it's a better experience. Um, so uh, I, I failed to mention the name of your business and I feel like it's uh, kind of, everybody's probably going to wonder like, why is he wearing a shirt that says get naked and a hat? That's, <laughs> that's the name of your business, the CBD business. So my, my CBD company is Naked Warrior Recovery. Uh, we do, you know, mostly CBD products and, and hold on just a second, pause for a second. So going back to my company, uh, Naked Warrior Recovery, and, you know, my tagline is get naked because, you know, I talk about the, the baggage that I carried around, you know, in my, uh, from my career and, and some not so awesome relationships. I just mentioned one of them, um, that was, that weighed pretty heavy on me, but get naked is really, it's about a mindset. It's, 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 you know, taking that armor, taking that ego off that, uh, that, that, that I was wearing around, you know, most of my life and, and being vulnerable, just, you know, exposing myself and being vulnerable so that I could find the healing that I needed. And I kind of talked about it a little bit and, uh, <laughs> they're blowing me up right now. Um, but, uh, you know, naked, Naked is it's it's also an acronym and and that was really the the keynote that I gave at the Roger Up event and naked stands for the N is for never quit the A is accept failure the K is kill mediocrity the E is expose your fears and the D is do the work and you have to do it every single day. I love it. And and if you want if you want if your listeners want to uh, want a copy of uh, really I, I I wrote a little PDF that uh, lines out what, what Naked is all about. Uh, if you go to the website, fivesealsecrets.com, the number five, seal, S-E-A-L, secrets.com, uh, and put your name and email in there, I will send you a copy of the, uh, of the PDF. And uh, that comes from me. And if you have any questions from, for me about speaking or coaching or anything else that I do, just go ahead and, and reply to that email. It does come directly to me and I will reply to you. Unless you ask something stupid, and then I might not reply. Um, and if you're interested in, in CBD, my website is nw-recovery.com or Naked Warrior Recovery. I change it to nw-recovery because maybe people don't want to write naked in their search engine. Not sure why, but uh, it was an epiphany I had one day. So uh, yeah, nw-recovery.com. And uh, let's see what else. Because apparently I'm late for another call right now. <laughs> all right. Well, we can wrap this up and uh, all that will be in the show notes. So if you're listening and you want to go find all that stuff, just look in the show notes. It'll be there. Um, awesome. Cool. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate you. Yep. We'll talk soon. All right. Take care. All right. Out here.